prayers for anxiety, assurance, forgiveness, plagues, sickness. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April contains more than 500 prayers that cover almost any situation. It's titled Lutheran Prayer Companion. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or find out more and purchase Lutheran Prayer Companion by calling Concordia Publishing House weekdays during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April, Lutheran Prayer Companion. We really believe this is a time when people should avoid gatherings of more than 10 people. And uh, so we continue to urge churches around America to heed to that. The desire to use government power to suppress religion is far, far more dangerous than the quote-unquote marriage of faith and government. Death, I think, was... I wouldn't say it was accepted as part of life, but it was known that it was there and it was coming for you. That's something we kind of distract ourselves from today. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. This addresses his greatest need and that which is the source of all of our problems, namely sin. So his greatest need was to have his sins forgiven. While cooking or canning, nursing babies or taking a break during nap time, housewives love listening to issues, etc. It's a poignant beginning here in 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. There was genuine affection between the apostle and this pastor in Ephesus. And it seems as though Paul is at pains, especially in the beginning paragraphs of that letter to Timothy, to make sure that he understands how much affection he has in Christ Jesus for that pastor. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Our series on introducing the books of the Bible continues. Today we'll be in 2 Timothy. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us. He's pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He's co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Table Talk Radio, author of the new book, and Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom, and publisher of Everyone's Luther Prefaces to the Books of the Bible. Brian, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. He begins with these kind of very tender words. You say that this is Paul's last letter, and maybe that accounts for the poignancy. How do we know that? Yeah, Paul talks especially about the end of his own life and his own ministry, at the end of this book, some of the, these key verses where he, he says, for example, in chapter 4, verse 6, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So unlike, you know, Paul was, has been in prison a lot. He's been in trouble a lot. But as we read the text of, of 2 Timothy and, and read how, especially how Paul finishes his letter, we get the sense that Paul is now, he, he knows that this is, this is it. So he writes to Timothy. He says, straighten things out there in Ephesus and then come and visit me quickly. We, you get this urgency that's perhaps more urgent than in any other place because Paul knows that, that the end is here. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith, he says. And so he's now ready for the crown of life. So, so this is in some ways, it's the last words of St. Paul that, that he pens to his co-worker Timothy. 
So where would that put us on the timeline here, just so we can orient ourselves? Probably. So we're just going to assume that Paul, you know, Paul ends the book of Acts in prison, and we don't learn anything else from history. Tradition would tell us that Paul left prison there. He went to Spain. He went back to Ephesus, cruised around Crete a little bit, and then ends up back in Rome in prison around the years 65 to 67, where he's he and Peter are in prison together, and Paul is... I think he was beheaded, is at least what the tradition tells us, and there under Nero, in Rome around sixty six or sixty seven. So, so we date this, and I said it's all tradition. You you kind of need that little, that little swing around things to be able to place all of the writings of Paul in in some sort of chronological order and make sense of them. So it's not a hundred percent tradition. We we do have little hints here and there from the letters, but that puts us probably in prison in Rome with Paul around the year 65, 66, 67 AD, writing to Timothy, who's still over in Ephesus, pastoring the church and being bishop, not only of the church, but the whole region there. Where does that put us in relationship to the first letter to Timothy? Uh, a couple of years later. So probably, I mean, the, these uh, kind of, ex- both are written from Rome, both are written to Timothy in Ephesus, uh, but probably we put the first Timothy early, maybe uh, 65, and then second Timothy coming later 67. It's very hard to be precise. Ah, sorry, sorry. I misspoke there. Let me back. We, we're going to put Timothy is in Ephesus, but we do put first Timothy from Macedonia. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes there. So, so first Timothy probably comes around 62 or 63. And then second Timothy comes around 65 or 67. So we're looking about two or three years later. And really you do have this, as you pointed out, this intensity of Paul kind of emotional and somewhat reflective, the passion that's there is is almost palpable in the letter that he's writing to Timothy here in 2 Timothy. What's the general message of 2 Timothy? Well, he kind of has two things going on. Paul's going to say, look, don't be ashamed. In fact, he's he's going to pr- co- keep coming back to this theme over and over, and, he, and he's going to be naming people by name, people who were faithful to him and then people who were ashamed of him. It seems like that Paul has been afflicted so profoundly that there was those who were saying, we can't acknowledge Paul. We got to deny that Paul's an apostle. I mean, he's in prison again. This is like the fifth time he's been in prison. So people were ashamed of Paul, ashamed of his preaching. So he starts out talking about being unashamed of the ministry. He talks about being faithful, even in difficult times. And then he has a farewell. That's pretty much the outline. But if we wanted to summarize the letter of St. Paul, we it's it's his instructions to Timothy to straighten up the false teaching and then quick come and visit. What is this notion, and I read it there in the beginning, this life in Christ Jesus? It's, it is something, especially if we think of Paul condemned and thinking that he's going to die soon, he's going to be a martyr, he's going to pour out his life soon, that he starts this letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Now, we know a promise is something that you don't have yet. The faith is clinging to a promise and, and hoping for those things which are not seen. So, so that the promise of life is really an interesting phrase that Paul's going to use to sort of set the stage, because that means that there is a life that belongs to Paul because of Jesus that he doesn't have yet, so that Paul's mind is already latched on to the resurrection. It's already latched on to heaven itself. It's latched on to life eternal on the other side of death. And Paul is longing, 
like he does in other places, but boy, here, he's longing for that life that stands on the other side of death that Jesus has for all who are his. You mentioned this before, but why is Paul speaking in terms of either being ashamed or not being ashamed? I mean, it, we, in some ways, we there's a lot that's assumed here, but you, you, Paul is writing to Timothy to fix the problems, and surely Timothy knows what these problems are. So Paul doesn't unfold them as it, maybe as explicitly as we would like. But he, this idea of being ashamed or unashamed is going to come up over and, and over in, in the text. So just for example, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, For this reason I suffer these things, nevertheless... I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So Paul says, look, I'm suffering. I know I'm suffering. I see I'm suffering. I feel that I'm suffering, and yet I'm not ashamed of that. But it seems like there are who are ashamed. So, for example, in chapter 15, Paul names some names. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes, the Lord grant mercy for the household of Onesimus, and so forth. So he, he mentions those that have turned away from him, and this will come up a couple of other times where he talks about, for example, at the end, Alexander, the coppersmith, who has done him much harm, or he mentions these other folks, and he'll just, he'll just say, look, there's people who see me suffering, and we don't know maybe explicitly what the suffering was that they were so ashamed of. Maybe his prison, maybe his afflictions, maybe that he was constantly being treated like the off-scouring of the world, who knows, but they, these guys that see Paul suffering and they say, no, no, I'm not going to associate myself with Paul. And so Paul's writing to Timothy and says, look, you don't be ashamed of me or the gospel that I'm preaching. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, whose word we share. He talks about fan into flame, that gift that was given you with the laying on of my hands. Is he referring to uh, Timothy's ordination? I think so. And this has been used as a proof text for ordination. That's really quite wonderful. The laying on of hands comes up a couple of times. Paul mentions the laying on of hands and not the lay on hands too quickly. We see the laying on of hands in the book of Acts. And so we have from this idea the laying on of hands to set people in the office, especially the apostles were doing this in the early church in the book of Acts. And they would lay on hands, they would pray for the Holy Spirit, they would set them into the office. But one of the important things to note about this is that it's not like well, we, we still do this now for ordination. We have the laying on of hands, and we pray, come Holy Spirit. But it's not like the pastor or the man who's being put into the office doesn't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But this gets to the idea, the biblical idea, an important idea, that the Holy Spirit does come upon us for different offices to, for which we're called. And especially when we're put into the office of the Word, We pray and trust that the Holy Spirit comes upon the pastor to give him the gifts that are required for that office. So the same thing we could say would be true, for example, of of any office. So when the Lord calls someone into a public office or even into the office of marriage or something like that, that that we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give us the gifts that are needed to fulfill that office in a good and godly way. But particularly the office of the Holy Ministry has this gift of the laying on of hands and the giving of the Holy Spirit and connected to call and ordination so that we know that the Holy Spirit dwells with those who are set apart for the office to help them in the work that the Lord has given. 
Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. It's our series, Introducing the Books of the Bible. We're introducing 2 Timothy, and we'll talk about what Paul calls the good deposit next. Prayers for anxiety, assurance, forgiveness, plagues, sickness. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April contains more than 500 prayers that cover almost any situation. It's titled Lutheran Prayer Companion. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or find out more and purchase Lutheran Prayer Companion by calling Concordia Publishing House weekdays during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April, Lutheran Prayer Companion. Looking for a foreign language program that will revolutionize your students' vocabulary knowledge and their understanding of grammar? How about a program that teaches critical thinking skills, too? Look no further than Memoria Press's Latin curriculum. Students of all ages can use these Latin study programs. Give your students the gift of Latin today. To order, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. We Lutherans, we're never aided by following along with some other tradition's theological priorities and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers— That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're introducing the book of 2 Timothy. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. Brian, what can you tell us about your live worldwide Bible class tomorrow? We're going to try this. I don't know how this is going to go, but tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock Central Time, we're going to try a worldwide Bible class. So we started we started doing our, our Bible class online at St. Paul and also Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, and we wanted to keep that class for for the members, keep it semi-private, you know, not not a big public thing. But so many people asked about jumping in that we said, let's see what we could do. So... We're going to try this uh, tomorrow and see, jump everybody on Zoom, and we're going to talk about the events of Passion Week, and then I think after that we'll take up the topic of hope and try this every Tuesday morning and, and simply see how it goes. So if anybody wants to, to join us live, they can ask questions and see the presentation and everything. That All the information will be at wolfmuller.co slash Bible, 
uh, and that'll give the links to to either call in or phone in through Zoom and and uh, and join us for that. And we'll see if this experiment can bear fruit and and help the Lord's people rejoice together in His Word in these strange days. You'll find a link to Pastor Wolf Miller's live worldwide Bible class tomorrow morning, April the seventh at ten central at issuesetc.org. Click Talk on Demand Archives. What is this good deposit that Paul speaks of there in that first chapter of Second Timothy? It's the oh, it's so great. It reminds us of what Jesus said when he talks about how the ministers of the kingdom bring out treasures old and new. There's a the, the doctrine and the teaching of the Lord is considered a treasure that's been deposited in the heart and mind of Timothy. So Paul says, oh, starting in verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words. That's a really important text, actually, This that there's a pattern of sound words, that we don't want to diverge from the, the words that the Lord has given to us to speak by the prophets and the apostles. It's a pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the Holy Spirit has been given to Timothy for his work as a pastor, and that chiefly consists in this gift of God's Word, of law and gospel, of the truth of the Scriptures, of the revelation of the life that is in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is commending to Timothy that this great gift has to be protected, has to be guarded. This is distasteful to us for whatever reason in these days, the idea of protecting or guarding or keeping or treasuring the Lord's word. Maybe it's just because we just don't like the fight. So we avoid the theological fights and the theological wrestlings, but the Lord has given us this work of guarding the truth because our life, as Paul started, the promise of life, our life depends on it. I looked once into that phrase, pattern of sound words, and you can trace it really through scripture. It's almost a picture of the pattern that Moses was shown of the tabernacle in heaven that by which he was to craft the tabernacle on earth, a blueprint, so to speak. Is Paul saying, in essence, what I teach you and how I teach you, the very words I use, should be the pattern for how you will then teach and speak and preach. Yeah, exactly. It's 100% right. It's like a stamp or an imprint or something. It's so that Timothy is not to, 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 to innovate. He's not to diverge. In fact, there's two or three times where Paul will mention in specifically in this letter and then also in 1 Timothy and other places about how the false teachers are word fighters. They're always manipulating and misusing words they're always trying to say something new, like the philosophers sitting on on Mars Hill, try, waiting to hear something new, say something new, be, be innovators. The Christian preacher is not an innovator. We're passing on what's handed to us. So Paul will use a similar kind of language in, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, that which I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. This is the idea of the steward. You're not inventing something. You, you are taking from the treasure house and you are distributing it according to the Lord's will. And that's what Timothy's supposed to be doing. There's a place for creativity in this life, and I think it especially has to do with our life of love for one another. But there's, there's a place for not being creative, and that is when it comes to the doctrine and the teaching and the preaching that the pastor has been appointed to in the church. At the beginning of chapter 2, he has some, I don't know if I want to call them analogies, because they may be more than analogies for ministry. Yeah, maybe it's the same word here, types. He says, he he brings the three pictures of a soldier 
and of an athlete and of a farmer. The whole thing is quite nice. We can just press in on verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3 and following. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul assigns a meditation a homework assignment to Timothy. He says, you've got to be a pastor. You want to be a faithful pastor. So I want you to meditate on the life of the soldier, on the life of the athlete, and on the life of the hardworking farmer. And these things will enlighten you. It's almost like Solomon here. As Solomon says, you know, consider the ant. <laughs> this is great. So consider the ant. That's how you should work. So Timothy is to consider the soldier, consider the farmer, consider the ath- the, the, the racer who, who aren't concerned with the things of this world. I mean, you know, athletes will do. I remember I used to hang around with the wrestlers in high school, and they do all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, just nutty kind of things to get ready for their matches. And Paul says, we, we have almost that sort of monomaniacal sense as pastors that, we, that our whole lives are bent towards preaching the word and pressing this good news into every, into every ear that the Lord gives us opportunity to press it into. He talks about the word of God not being bound, even though he, as the apostle, is bound. Yeah, and this has to do with part of his shame. With verse 8 in chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is loose. Jesus is no longer in the grave. His grave clothes are folded and set aside. So here Paul is in the grave, He's, I mean, in the in jail, in the cave, and yet the word of God is is loose and is free and is traveling throughout the world. It's amazing, actually, how, how Paul can see everything that's happening to him in, in the language of the scriptures and in the context of the suffering of Jesus, but how Paul has an even bigger vision. So he knows that even though he's in prison, that the word of God is not in prison and can never be in prison, that the word of God is loose and will be loose and will be published throughout all the world. And he has one of his... Pauline trustworthy sayings there. What is it? What does it mean when he says this is a trustworthy saying? And what is it in this case? He has. I think this is almost like Paul's way of saying, like Jesus used to say, "Amen, amen, I say to you," or "Truly, I say to you." We we have that in John, and then in the other Gospels. This is Paul's way of underlining these texts and saying, "This is true." I think he has five of them scattered across the pastoral epistles. Which is also interesting. I mean, I don't know why. If you have insight into that, Todd, I'd be interested into why Paul only uses this phrase when he writes to Timothy and to and to Titus. But he he uses this to underline these things, saying, "Here's something that you can take to the bank. Here's a promise that you can pray on." And then he has this little poem: "If we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself." So it's absolutely a beautiful little poem. What do you think that is? I mean, it's kind of a interesting, it reflects much of what Jesus says about not being ashamed in this world of confessing his name. Yeah, it does have that Matthew 10 echo where Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. You don't wonder if that's, if this little poem is that phrase of Jesus turned into a, a, a hymn. But Paul says, if we die with him, we'll live with him, which has got to be, I mean, this is the whole thing that Paul's thinking about. I mean, here he is in prison, 
getting ready to be beheaded or whatever, to freeze to death in the cold or something. And he's, his death is right around the corner, but he's not afraid because he knows he has the promise of life in Jesus. So if we die with him, I'm going to die with Jesus. I'll live with Jesus. No problem. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If we endure, we'll reign. So that's the contrast of suffering before glory. Jesus says it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer before he entered into his glory, and so it's also necessary for us to suffer before we enter into the glory of the resurrection and the kingdom of God. If we deny him, we'll deny us, so we can't deny Jesus. Even if we're suffering for the name of Jesus, we can't deny him to make our, our life better. Our, our whole hope is in the name of Jesus. But if we're faithless, he remains faithful. So even the apostasy of some the denial of some, some teachers there in Ephesus were ashamed of Paul as, he, as Paul sees those who are his partners who are falling away and so forth. He sees their faithfulness, but he knows that Jesus will remain faithful. So even if everyone, well, how does Paul say it in, in Romans? He says, let God be true and every man a liar. Even if every pastor were to fall away from the truth, even if every Christian were to deny their Lord, Jesus would remain faithful. So you can take that, and Paul says, this is trustworthy. You can take that to the bank. We're talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, introducing Second Timothy in our series, Introducing the Books of the Bible. We will deal with Paul's words, study to show yourself approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. There's that idea again, rightly handling the word of truth. What does it mean to rightly handle the word of truth? I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Holy Week on the Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're journeying on in Hebrews. Covenant blood, the willing victim. The new and living way, a better possession and an abiding one. And the roll call of faith, Abel and Enoch. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Luther Academy. At Concordia Evangelical Lutheran Church of Wilmington, Delaware, our mission is to serve our community by sharing Christian hope. We've been doing this since 1938 and joyfully continue to do so in the 21st century. If you're ever in the city that DuPont Chemical Corporation calls home or is known by some as the credit card capital of the world, we hope you visit to receive Jesus through his word and sacrament. Otherwise, check us out on the web at concordiawilmington.com. 
In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who, who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are introducing the book of 2 Timothy with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. He's author of a new book, And Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom. Brian, this is a really important passage here in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, where he tells Pastor Bishop Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What would you say about that? That's right. It's not enough to have the word of God. It, it must be handled rightly. So the word of God, St. Paul will tell us, for example, in Ephesians 6, is a sword. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying at all times. So it's a piece of equipment that has to be used rightly. This text became the perhaps the most important text for a pastor like C.F.W. Walther, who was teaching other pastors to distinguish between law and gospel. And this was the text that he would go to, saying that we, we have to know the Lord's law and the Lord's gospel, and we have to know how and when and to whom they should be applied. That the Word of God is not like a vending machine or a billboard that just is to be placard. The Word of God is to be taken up and to be preached. It's to be applied. It's, it's to be used for correcting, rebuking, exhorting, training up in righteousness, for comforting and for teaching. And so the Lord intends for His Word to be preached, for His Word to be taught, for His Word to be, to be rightly divided. The, the picture comes from, and I think the old Lutheran theologians used to pick up on this picture from Plato, who talked about the dialectician, and he uses the example of a butcher. And if you go and watch a butcher, I mean, maybe especially in the ancient world, you'd, you'd see that they were trying to cut the meat right at the joints. So if you just started hacking away at something, just indiscriminately, you'll destroy it. It'll just be shredded. It'll be useless. So you have to cut at the right spot so that we want to 
do the same thing. We want to cut at the right spot. We want to know how the word is to be applied, how the Lord's word is to be used. And this is not something that to be taken lightly. It's not something that's easy. It's something that's difficult. In fact, in a famous saying from Martin Luther, again, which C.F.W. Walter picked up, he said that if if someone knows how to rightly divide between law and gospel, he deserves to be called a doctor of theology. Luther will go on to say stuff like, well, it's easy to do when you just look at the text, like, oh, that's a command, and oh, that's a promise. But to be able to apply it in the midst of temptation, to be able to apply it in the difficulties of this life, to be able to take the Lord's word and to put the right word to the right spot, that is something that requires work. So Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Don't give up, even though you're a bishop and overseeing all these churches. Do not cease laboring in the Lord's word. Get after it. Give attention, he says in the first letter. Give attention to the word, to the reading, to the doctrine. In doing so, you'll save yourselves and those who hear you. So again here, he says, don't get weary of doing these things. Like an athlete, like a soldier, like a hardworking farmer, the pastor is going to get after it. He contrasts that rightly handling the word of truth with a a situation that appears to have spun out of control there in Ephesus involving Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, starting with what he calls irreverent babble, ended up denying that the resurrection was yet to come. Yeah, he talks about their false doctrine will spread like gangrene. Oh, man. We were talking earlier in the conversation about how we have lost our sort of savor for the theological fight. And maybe that's because we, we, we've forgotten how dangerous it is. Like gangrene will get on the end of a finger or the end of a nose or your ear or something, but it'll spread until the whole body dies. And this is what false teaching does. He says, among them, those false babblers and ungodly teachers are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened, upsetting the faith of some. Now, the, there may be a handful of things that we can glean from this particular text, but maybe most important is to remember how important the resurrection is in the apostolic preaching. I think it's one of the things that, that we need to remember in the church today. We, we often think about heaven and eternal life, and we forget about the resurrection. We forget that heaven is only for a little while, and that our great hope is on the resurrection, our bodies being up out of the grave, our graves being as empty as the grave of Jesus. We forget that, but the, the apostolic message cannot be preached without the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the Christian. These guys have gotten sideways. Who knows? Maybe they were kind of Platonic philosopher, Gnostic guys who just denied the resurrection altogether, or maybe they took the resurrection in, in spiritual terms and not physical terms or, or whatever. Uh, and so they had taught falsely and they had upset the faith of some. So Paul wants I mean, before Timothy leaves to come and visit Paul, he's got, to stri- he's got to straighten this thing out and set it in order. And then he goes on in verse 19. This is great. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So the Lord knows you, and you know that you are the Lord. Those are, it's like two stamps that are stamped into our hearts and our consciences. And Paul says to Timothy, keep stamping that in there with your preaching. And then he has an analogy about vessels in a household, and I think he's trying to explain how it is that these false teachers are still, at least within the visible pale of the church, and he caps it off with some admonition to 
what you call kind of unique pastoral virtues. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. He says, because and he's going to list what it means to be a pastor. So he uses the picture of honorable and dishonorable vessels. So you got to think in the ancient world. You know, so, I mean, basically, you're thinking a plate versus a toilet. <laughs> and you've got two types of porcelain in the house. You've got the plates and you've got the toilet. But you want to be a plate in the house of God. So he gives a list of how to do it. So verse 22, flee youthful passions. So this is always the Christian is at war with passions, with the passions of the flesh, with the youthful passions, with with breaking the, the sixth commandment, with breaking the seventh commandment, breaking the fifth commandment, These this the concupiscence that drives us away from the gifts of God and away from the life that God has for us. And then he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May God perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is a probably the only little list of like the attributes or unique qualities of a pastor that show up in this letter. And comparing them to the other lists that Paul has in, in 1 Timothy, in Titus, in other places, it's a really unique list. It focuses on the teaching office but especially on the rebuking office and correcting office and being able to go and correct and rebuke with gentleness in the great hope of winning back the brother who's been caught in false doctrine. So it talks about patiently enduring evil, correcting your opponents with gentleness, praying all the while that God would grant them repentance. So while the pastor is to be a good soldier fighting in the cause of Christ, He's also to be marked by, by gentleness, by a desire to turn people's hearts, by a recognition that our enemies are not flesh and blood, but rather the devil and his demons, and that that's who we're fighting against. So our fight is not against one another, even true teacher against false teacher, but our fighting is against the devil who wants to snare us all. What kind of picture does he paint when he turns his attention to what he calls the last days? Yeah, I, t- I was just thinking about these verses this morning and said, what a fantastic description of our own time. And I thought, well, what a fantastic description of every time. But Paul says, in the last days, so we're in chapter three now, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. They creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, etc., etc. So that Paul has this description of of pastoring in times of difficulty, or, or maybe better, pastoring in the last days. There's so many mentions of love in his description of how bad things are going to be in the last day. It's not that people are loveless in the last days, but it's that they love the wrong stuff. They don't love God. They love, how does he say it here? They love themselves. They love money. They love pleasure, but they don't love God. And this is this this old picture from like St. Augustine who says that sin is disordered love. And, th- and, and Paul 
paints that picture really profoundly and clearly for us. And in contrast to that, he sets this very familiar direction for Timothy to be found in Scripture. I think it's one of the few places that Paul mentions Scripture by name. Yeah, yeah, he says it. He's kind of ramping up to it all through chapter 3. as kind of growing to this grand crescendo. But he writes, verse 14, so we're headed to verse 16, but in verse 14 he says, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing who you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now that's interesting, just maybe as a quick side note, Paul mentions Timothy's mom and even his grandmother and how they had bathed him in the scriptures, even from from childhood. So when Paul talks about the gift that Timothy received from him in the laying on of hands, that's that's not anything new. Timothy had been had received the gifts of the knowledge of the scripture already from his family. Quite beautiful. And then Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So just as we're supposed to use the Word of God and handle it rightly, so he talks now about the Word of God being our training and our equipment. And it talks about the use of the Scripture, uh, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, teaching. And maybe the most important part of this verse is the doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, upon which all the other attributes of the Scriptures are built, where he says that all Scripture is is God-breathed. It's one word in the Greek, theopanoimatos, God-spirited, God-breathed. It's it's the very breath of God, the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And so we, we, we treasure these things, and we know that these are our, this Scripture is our tool for the work of the ministry. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. It's our series, Introducing the Books of the Bible. Today we're introducing the book of Second Timothy. I've written an article on closed communion, making the case that a careful guarding of communion fellowship at the Lord's Supper is biblical, it is historical, it is Lutheran, and above all, it is the loving thing to do. You can read this article, Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving, absolutely free in the online issues, etc. journal. We'll send it to you. All you need to do is subscribe. Go to our website, issuesetc.org, click the red subscription button, Enter your email address, and we will send you the latest online Issues Etc. journal absolutely free. When we come back, we're going to turn to the subject of the charge that he has for Timothy. It's pretty simple. Preach the Word, but there's a lot involved in it. We'll see what it is next. world around us is laser-focused on the fear of death and disease. The April issue of The Lutheran Witness has the answer, Jesus and His Resurrection. In this issue of The Lutheran Witness, Dr. Adam Francisco answers objections to the resurrection. The Reverend Sean Danzer discusses resurrection hymnody, and there's so much more. If you're worried about death, then take the opportunity to read about life in Jesus and His Resurrection. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness. 
Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. LutheranFCU.org. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University Chicago, with a message for parents, grandparents, and godparents of college-bound children. Concordia Chicago is a distinctive, comprehensive university of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're devoted to our Lutheran confession and committed to strong academics. Please encourage your child, grandchild, or godchild to check out Concordia University Chicago at cuchicago.edu. I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Nancy Almodovar writes about her journey from the profound doubt produced by her former Calvinist beliefs to the absolute certainty of Lutheran theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. It's our series introducing the books of the Bible. We're talking about 2 Timothy. It's a simple charge, but it, he, as he unfolds it, it really becomes pretty daunting when he says to Timothy, preach the word. Yeah. I remember this from, you know, these are, these are the kind of verses that are ringing in your ears as you're finishing up your seminary and being sent out into the parish. It's really great. In fact, I think that little phrase from this text is, on the logo of the seminary in Fort Wayne, preach the word, but he unfolds it like this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now that word complete, boy, that'll get you. I mean, even just rebuke and exhort with patience, that's one thing, but with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away and listen to the tr- from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, mythos. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Wow, that's incredible. There's so much there. But he has this picture of, of the preacher who preaches the truth versus the preacher who is scratching people's ears. I don't know how, I mean, the, the, the itchy ear business is pretty tricky because there's things that people like to hear. They like to hear about themselves. They like to hear about their own goodness. They like to hear that God is a nice guy. They, I mean, the preaching of law and gospel does not satisfy the itching ear. It comforts the aching conscience. It's a totally different thing. And so Paul says there's going to be a temptation always for the preacher to scratch the itch of the ear, to say the thing that people want to hear. And so avoid it. Don't do it. It's a, it's a sign of, of a loss of faith. Now, that's not to say that the gospel doesn't bring comfort, that it doesn't bring rest, 
that it doesn't bring peace, that it doesn't bring blessings. But the blessings that the gospel gives, that the, the comfort of the gospel is an entirely different thing than the false comfort of a false gospel. And it's the true comfort of the true gospel that, that Paul is setting Timothy in the office to deliver. So we can see this actually being played out in the church around us. And I'm thinking here about the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, where they have, in a very literal sense, decided to preach what people want to hear. And then the next step, as Paul says, they have departed into absolute myths. You can go to a ELCA church and they have they can have sing, be singing hymns to Gaia, the earth goddess, and all these mythical beings. It is amazing. I mean, as soon as you think that the Holy Spirit speaks through culture, and then it's just up to you to pick your favorite culture, and then you get you get this slightly awkward result that that God says everything that you want him to say. <laughs> I mean, as soon as our reason or our whatever is standing above the scripture rather than below the scripture, so that we're we are manipulating the scripture to always agree with us, we're in a very strange circumstance. And and it's the circumstance of of finding God always agreeing with us. I mean, if we just go to the prophets or or to the apostles or to the preaching of Jesus and we just say how often does God say what the people want him to say? <laughs> and it's very, very rare. So that if we're letting God be God and speak, then we will often find ourselves crosswise with the words that God says. We'll often find ourselves in the very uncomfortable position of being rebuked, of being exhorted, of being shown to be wrong. But if you're uncomfortable with that and you just want God always to agree with you, then then you do what what the mainline denominations are doing with the scripture, but it's just probably a piece of honesty to admit that you're just making yourself into God. It gets a little sad at the end. He he said, as you pointed out earlier in our conversation, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and then he says, I fought the good fight. It's all past tense. I've kept the faith. What's he talking about there? Yeah, he's ready to die, although... It's not, he's not at the very end because he tells Timothy, he says, I, I still want you to come and visit. And it's not that short of a trip to get from Ephesus to Rome. You got to go all the way up and around and over Macedonia and probably sail a little bit. Anyway, it's a long trip. And he says, try to get here before winter. So Paul thinks he's got a few months left. He's not in his last hours, but maybe in his last months. But it, it is sad, but it is not mourning without hope. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. But I finished the race. I kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, you see, it's like watching a long-distance race, and you see the guys at the end. I mean, Paul, by the way, just notice he picks up the image of soldier and of, and of athlete here. But you see these guys running these marathons, these long races, and they get to the end, and they look exhausted, but they also look elated to finish this race and to have done it. All that they've been training for and working for, now they just collapse across the finish line with triumph in their face. And, that, and Paul has that same triumph. There's a crown for me, and not just for me, not because I'm Paul the Great, but because I love Jesus, and I can't wait for him to come back. And so there's a crown for all of us that's waiting there. 
And so even Paul approaches this, his last days with this, you know, there's some mint on his breath. There's some glory in his voice. There's a gleam in his eye. You know, he knows that to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he, he knows that he's kept around because it's been good for the church, but his usefulness is almost finished. And finally, the Lord will have him in his rest and in his kingdom. And Paul, there's a joy that's waiting for him. And he's pressing towards that. He's triumphant. I mean, that's what he's saying there in, with all those, that, those three statements. Fought the good fight and won. R- finished the race and won and kept the faith. And then he has this reward awaiting him. It's, it's triumphant. Some people would say, golly, maybe he's getting a little conceited at, at the end. Maybe he's taking some credit for it. Is that what's happening? Well, listen to how he says in verse 18, right up next to the end. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is not Paul's triumph. This is not Paul's victory. This is the work of Jesus. The one who began a good work has finished it. And that is our confidence. I mean, if our, you know, it's, if, it's like, hey, I got myself as to be a Christian or Jesus got me to be a Christian. I'm going to finish it. That would be frightful. But Jesus is the one start to finish, Alpha and Omega. The, he's the starting starting line and the finish line. He's the one who, who carries us along and who keeps us. And and that is Paul's confidence, not in himself, but but in Christ Jesus. Finally, Brian, what I'm intrigued by here is how he wants to extend mercy even to the people who have abandoned him. He wants these false teachers to come to repentance. He wants Timothy to continue to work as hard as he has been working. He has not turned inward on himself, even as he knows his death is approaching. It is a curious thing that in, I think in Second Timothy— maybe more than any other letter, except for maybe like the end of Romans or something, but he names names and he names the people that left him. He names the people that were faithful to him. He names all these, and he has this desire. You you get this sense that his life is, his, his ministry is ending, but the word of God is unbound and it will be carried on in the ministry of these others. It's this torch passing that's happening here. And it's really quite wonderful to see because, you know, I mean, it's true for us, Todd. I mean, we here we are talking about the Bible on, on issues, etc., and and trying to press the gospel into as many ears as possible. But your day will end soon. My day will end soon. And, and there will be others who will take up the cause and take up the torch and who will be preaching to the next generation and to the next. So each of us just has a little moment in the preaching of the gospel, and then another will take our place. The pulpit is very transitory. And there's a sense that Paul has that... He, he recognizes that, and he's he's fine with it. He's great with it. That they, He knows that other people will take up the preaching, that Timothy will raise up other men to take up his place, and that that's exactly how it's supposed to go. The only thing that endures forever is not our flesh. It's the only thing that endures forever is the Word of God. And we are nothing except for those stewards of that Word to bring it to the people that the Lord desires to save. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He's co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Table Talk Radio, author of the new book, And Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom, and publisher of Everyone's Luther Prefaces to the Books of the Bible. You can purchase Brian's new book, Take They Our Life, on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Brian, thank you very much. My pleasure. 
Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. We'll be discussing a global baby boom post-coronavirus with Glenn Stanton, and we'll respond to your email and the Issues Etc. comment line. St. Paul has, in many ways, had everything taken from him for the sake of the gospel. But as he says elsewhere, he counts that all loss. He just writes that off because he knows what awaits him is a crown of glory that is not based upon how much he has given up, but how much Christ has given up for him. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Have you considered homeschooling your children, but wondered if you have the time or the expertise? If you live in the St. Louis Metro East, check out St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. We offer a classical Lutheran education for children pre-kindergarten through 8th grade. St. Paul Lutheran School is located just off of Interstate 55 in Hamill, Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org. Overnight, the world has become a strange place. The abnormal has become the new normal. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Every faithful little church is an ark of salvation. With Christ on board, we will get safely to the other side. Be of good courage. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.